1: In our first installment, we said the life of the overcomer is a life that is able to confront, a life that is able to challenge, a life that is able to conquer opposition. And we said that the life of the overcomer is a life that says, I will not take no for an answer. I will continue to pursue what I need to pursue to get to where I need to get to. In our second installment, we now started looking at the various secrets of living the life of the overcomer. And we said the very first secret is to have access to divine revelation. And we said that if you look at all the people that God worked with, God has a way of opening their eyes to see what they don't know. He has a way of showing them what others cannot see. He has a way of giving them access to the things that others have no privilege of saying. They know something that other people did not know. And so we went on to talk about the second secret. And the second secret is to have divine instruction. And we said there's a difference between revelation and instruction. We said revelation is about God telling you what you don't know. But instruction is about giving you a step-by-step direction on how to do what God Almighty is asking you to do. So when God gives you a revelation, the Lord is telling you what you don't know or where he's taking you. But when the Lord gives you instruction, the Lord is telling you how you should do what he wants you to do. So there's a difference. It is one thing for you to know what God wants you to do. It's another thing to know how to do it. It's one thing for you to know where you are going. It's another way to know how to get there. So my brothers and sisters, it is good to receive divine revelation, but it is better to receive divine instruction. When you have instruction, you can never be stranded. When you have instruction, you can never be stuck because you know what you're supposed to do. You know the next thing to do in your life. The third secret of the life of overcomer is access to his divine presence. And we said that access to his divine presence means being able to commune and to fellowship with the Almighty God all the time. There are times when you pray and you know that your prayer is not passing the ceiling. You know that. As you're praying, you know there's a lot of heaviness around you. But there are times as soon as you close your eyes and you start praying, you know that you have access to heaven. That is what it means to have access to His divine presence. Access to His divine presence means that you enjoy the manifest presence of the Almighty God wherever you go. And that's why David said in Psalm 84, if you read from verse number 10, he said, A day in the court is better than a thousand I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. Why is he saying that? The reason is because access to the divine presence of the Almighty God produces an incredible result in our lives and it makes us untouchable to the enemy. That's why Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty The protection of the Almighty God is there. The provision of the Almighty God is there. The preservation of the Almighty God is there. And that's why Moses said, Lord, I am not going anywhere unless you go with me. Because he understood that the presence of the Almighty God makes a lot of difference. I mean, this is a guy that went through the wilderness with over a million people in the presence of hostile nations surrounding him, and he was able to pull it off. Why? Because the presence of the Almighty God is with him. We're going to be looking at the last part of this series, which is the secret of being a vessel of honor unto him. In other words, a vessel that the Lord will be proud to use. A vessel that the Lord Almighty will keep with him all the time. A vessel that the Lord Almighty will protect and preserve. A vessel that the Almighty God will not allow anyone to touch. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, reading from verse number 1, the Bible tells us there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood Seraphim, each one had six wings. With had two to cover his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a life goal, which he had taken with a tongue from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, these have touched your lips, your iniquities are taken away, and your sins are purged." And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Now, from the passage of scripture, I want you to know that Isaiah had a vision of heaven. But prior to this particular vision of heaven from verse 1 all to verse number 5, Isaiah had been preaching. Isaiah had been ministering. Isaiah had been doing the work of a prophet in a palace. But his influence was limited only to the palace. But until he got that revelation. And the first thing I want you to notice in the verse of scripture that we read. Is the opening of Isaiah's heaven. When Isaiah's destruction was taken away. Look at verse number 1. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. In other words, when that particular distraction was taken away, when that man that served as the idol, when that man that served as the authority over the life of Isaiah was taken away, all of a sudden, the heavens opened. And the same thing happens in our lives. As long as we see a man as the source of our blessing, the source of our promotion, the source of our advancement, then we will not be able to see a revelation of heaven. And until this man died, Isaiah continued to walk under the shadow of King Uzziah. The Bible says the year that King Uzziah died, that was the year that the heavens of Isaiah opened. The second thing I want you to notice from that passage of scripture is that you will see that as soon as the man died, a revelation of heaven was given unto Isaiah. A revelation of the king of kings was given. He said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. All that Isaiah has seen in the past has been what? King Uzziah on his throne. All that Isaiah has seen was a man that was taking the place of the Almighty God. But as soon as that man got out of the way, as soon as Uzziah died, the heavens of Isaiah that was closed before was opened. And now, things that pertains to his victory, to his elevation, to his breakthrough, was not fully manifested as long as that guy was there. And as long as we keep our eyes on man, as long as we keep our eyes on an individual, the things that pertain to our glory, the things that pertain to our elevation, will be hidden from us. That's why David says, I will lift up my eyes onto the hills. From where comes my help, my help comes from the Lord God Almighty, who makes the heavens and the earth. In other words, as long as King Uzziah is alive and well, the revelation of heaven will be hidden from us. But as soon as that distraction is taken out of the way, as soon as that object of worship is removed, heavens will open and Isaiah will see the Lord. And the third thing I want you to see is that as soon as Isaiah saw the heavens, as soon as the heavens over the life of Isaiah was opened, Isaiah began to see his own unworthiness. His eyes were open to see his own unworthiness. Many of us are important in our own little world until the Lord God Almighty shows us where he's taking us. That's when you realize that you are not as good as you think you are. You are not as eloquent as you think you are. You are not all that because the Lord Almighty is showing you that you are not yet where you are supposed to be. Isaiah was the prophet in the court. But the day the Lord opened his eyes, he was able to see the king of glory. And then he realized his own unworthiness. As soon as the king died, the heavens opened. Isaiah saw himself the way God saw him and came to the realization, Woe is unto me, I am a man of unclean lips. As a result of that realization and acknowledgement, the Bible says that there was a sanctifying touch upon the life of Isaiah. That's the next thing you see. You say, behold, these has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away. There was a sanctifying touch upon the life of a man who has always stood in the shadow of King Uzziah. And as soon as Isaiah received that sanctifying touch and it was purged, the final thing you will see is that a brand new vessel of honor was created that was fit for the master's youth. Who shall go for all? Who shall we send? Now that Isaiah has been purged and purified, the Bible said he was able to stand and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. A new vessel was created. A new vessel that was able to go beyond the palace. A new vessel that was prepared to see the revelation of the coming Messiah. You will notice that until that sanctifying and the purifying power of the Almighty God fell upon Isaiah, it was not commissioned, it was not released to the breakthrough portion of his ministry. After encounter with the Almighty God, a new phase of his life was opened. After the sanctifying of the vessel called Isaiah, God now brought Isaiah and his ministry into a new phase. He brought him into the place where he's able to see the vision of the coming Messiah. He was able to see the vision of what God plans for the end time. That's as a result of that particular sanctifying experience. That's why Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, He said, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If we hope to overcome the life of failure, overcome the life of mediocrity, we hope to overcome the life of obscurity and to come into the line that God has proposed for his people, we need to take responsibility for ourselves and purge ourselves from anything that is holding us back. We need to take the time to be able to look into ourselves, to see ourselves the way God is seeing us so that the heavens will be opened over our lives and then we can begin to enter into what God has prepared for us. Our heavens will be open and God will launch us into a new faith if we take the responsibility to cleanse ourselves. But it all starts with purity. It all starts with holiness. That's why the Bible tells us, they say without holiness, no man will see the Lord. As much as we want to do exploit for the almighty God, there is a need for our heavens to be open for us to be able to see the righteousness and the purity of the Almighty God so that we can begin to walk on ourselves. The question is, why is holiness and purity and sanctification one of the secrets of the overcomer's life? Why? Why is sanctification very important in living the life of the overcomer? Why is sanctification necessary in the life of an overcomer? Now, to answer this question, you will first of all understand what it means to be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? To be sanctified means to be set aside. To be set apart for special use. To be sanctified means to be cleansed, to be holy, to be separated unto the Lord. That's what it means. And when you talk about sanctification, it means that you have been set apart for the purpose and for the will of the Almighty God. And you have been specially dedicated unto Him. Now, why is holiness or sanctification one of the secrets of living the life of the overcomer? Number one reason is because when you are separated unto the Lord, When you are sanctified to the Almighty God, what you will find is that God puts a marker, the mark of ownership upon you. He said, let everyone who named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, if you belong to him, you need to stay away from evil. You need to stay away from sin. So sanctification is important because it's a mark of ownership to the Almighty God. Number two, sanctification is important because it makes us a useful vessel in the presence of the Almighty God. And because you are a useful vessel, the Lord pays attention to you. It's a condition for fellowship. That's why. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are so pure, he cannot behold iniquity. And if you want to fellowship with him, you need to be cleanse. Because when the Lord Almighty begins to fellowship with his people, doors begin to open. Life begins to fall in pleasant places. Sanctification is important because it attracts the presence of the Almighty God. Bible makes us to understand that the Lord Almighty dwells in the atmosphere of holiness. He said, be ye holy, just like the Lord God Almighty who has called you is holy. And if you are going to attract his presence, there has to be a cleansing of the soul, a sanctification, a purification of our hearts. And not only that, because we are a vessel that he can use and cherish, we also become a vessel that he protects. And that's why sanctification is important. Sanctification is important because it defends you from evil. Jesus Christ, when he was ministering, he said the prince of this world came and found nothing in me. In other words, I am clean inside and outside. Somewhere, when he was about to die, he told his people, he said, let anybody stand up right now and tell me, who have I stolen from? Who have I defrauded? Who have I sinned against? Let that person come and testify against me right now. I have lived my life in life of purity such that I have nothing to hide. And that is why you become untouchable by the enemy. As long as the enemy who is the accuser of the brethren is able to find something in our life, he will hinder your journey forward, he will destroy your testimony, and that's why sanctification is important because it's a defense from every evil. Now, seeing the importance of purity in the life of an overcomer, the question is: how do you become sanctified? How do you become separated? How do you become a clean vessel of honor to the Almighty God? Go back to that Second Timothy again, chapter 2. The Bible says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. From here you see, You become sanctified, number one, through conscious decision. If any man cleans himself, it is not something that you do in a passive way. I'm born again, so God will cleanse me. It doesn't work like that. You have to be engaged in the process. It requires a conscious decision. Number two, it requires a deliberate engagement. Where you say, Lord, I don't want this behavior in my life. I don't want this attitude in my life. A lot of us are not making progress because of the way we talk. Many of us are not making progress because of the way we behave. Our thoughts, our words, our actions are not in line with the direction that we want to go in life. And as long as those things are not aligned, success becomes elusive. And that is why you have to be deliberately engaged in the purification process. So there number one, it requires conscious decision. Number two, it requires deliberate engagement. Number three, it requires interaction with the word. The Bible says, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. How do you know what the Lord God Almighty can do in your life? Unless you read through the word of God. So there has to be interaction with the word for you to be sanctified. For you to know what the Lord wants and what he does not want. For you to know what the Lord likes and what he does not like. For you to know the things that make for a life of holiness and righteousness, you have to find out from the word of God. He says, Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is true. Not only that, there has to be a reliance on the spirit, because it is not you who does it, it is the spirit of God. That walks inside of you. Is it walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have to depend on the voice of the spirit. The spirit of the almighty God. Is one that continues to empower you. And move you in the direction of holiness. And righteousness in his presence. Now this is very easy to say. I said all that in less than five minutes. But putting it into practice. Is a different story. Living the life of holiness and righteousness. Is a completely different story. And the question is why? Why is it so difficult to live a life that we know we are supposed to live? Why is it so difficult to be a clean vessel of honor to the Almighty God so that we can now live the overcomer's life? Why? Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, start reading from verse number 15. The Bible says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the loss of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In other words, from this passage of scripture, it is very difficult for you and I to live a purified life simply because of our love for this particular world. We want to be like the world. You want to dress like the world. You want to behave like the world. You want the accolades of the world. You want to be recognized by the world. And the Bible makes us to understand that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is not possible for us to love the world and love the Father at the same time. You have to love one and hate the other. It doesn't mean that we reject everything in the world. It simply means that your priorities have to be right. So, as long as our priority is shifted to the things of the world, the Bible is making us to understand that living a life of purity becomes very difficult. Because when your priority is shifted, is focused on the things of the world, living a life that is pleasing unto the Father becomes very, very difficult. Number two, why is it difficult to live a life of purity? The reason is because of the lust of the flesh. There are things that my flesh wants that the Spirit of the Almighty God says, it is not good for you. Eating cheesecake in the morning for breakfast is good for my flesh. I love it, but the problem is that is it good for my spirit? The point we are making is that there are things that your body wants, but there are things that are contrary to the health of your spirit. And that is why it is extremely difficult. There is a war, fighting that takes place between your body and your spirit that says your body wants to do X, Y, Z. Your spirit said, this is what you're supposed to do. Your flesh says no, you can't do that. I'm not the one who killed Jesus. Let's take it easy. So at the end of the day, because of the love of the world, because of the lust of the flesh, living a life of purity becomes very difficult. Number three, living a life of purity is difficult because of the lust of the eyes. Everything my eye sees, I want to have it. I want to build my house under the water. I want to drive Lamborghini or whatever the latest car is. As long as you do all that, you now begin to put yourself in a situation that you are not able to manage. We become distracted. We are no longer focused on the things of God. And then we begin to run the rat race of life. And then service to the kingdom takes the second place. The loss of the eye. That is one of the reasons why people are not able to focus and become holy to the Almighty God. And then finally the pride of life. Now maybe this. When we think that we are on top of the world. We are the best thing that ever happened to humanity after sliced bread. When you start looking at yourself in that particular light. Why would you listen to God if you are the best thing that happened to this world? If you are a gift of God to the world, why should you listen to anybody? That's what happened to Satan. Satan said I was going to exalt my head. I'm going to sit upon the throne of heaven. I'm going to exalt my heels above that of the Father. I am this, I am that. And he has forgotten that he was a created being. So what happens is that when pride comes in, purity in the presence of the Almighty God becomes impossible. So the question is, how do you overcome this? Every one of us have one area or the other that we struggle with. For some of us, pride might not be an issue, but the issue might be the issue of our flesh. For some people, it might be, yes, I want to acquire all the whole world. For some people, it's just that I just like to be identified with the world. We know each of us have our own area of struggle. The question is, how do you overcome it so that you can become a clean vessel unto the Almighty God? If you look at the book of John, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you do it? By recognizing that we have gone astray. By coming to the almighty God with confession and in repentance. That's the first thing we do. To live a life of purity. To overcome the challenge of purity, there has to be confession. There has to be repentance. You must know that yes, you are not living the way you are supposed to live. You don't need anybody to tell you. I don't need anybody to tell me when I'm doing something wrong. I know. And the only way you can begin to go back into the presence of the Almighty God and live a life that is pleasing unto Him is to come to the place of repentance, come to the place of confession. Number two, you must now come to the place of prayer and fasting. You take it back to the Almighty God. There are some things that you will not be able to get rid out of your life except by fasting that is backed up with prayer. Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, if you start reading from verse number 41, it says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. He said, the Spirit indeed is willing There are desires that you want to accomplish for the Lord. When everything is going on very well, you want to serve God without any question. He said, but the flesh is weak. When you wake up in the morning, you look, yes, I want to do X, Y for the Lord. Yes, I want to be able to do this for the Lord. But by the time it comes down to it, the flesh is weak. So he said, pray that you will not enter into temptations To overcome the challenge of purity, you have number one, confession and repentance. There has to be fasting and prayer. There has to be fellowship and reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deed of the body, then you will live. In other words, there has to be continuous fellowship with the Spirit and continuous reliance on the Spirit of the Almighty God. You have to be able to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I don't have the ability. I don't have the power. I'm depending upon you for strength and for grace. When we do that, the Spirit of God strengthens us. Not only that, there has to be an exposure and engagement with the Word of God. You have to know exactly what the promise of God for you. What are those promises? What are the things that God has written concerning you? Then you engage it. That means you put them to practice. You not only know it, you put them to practice. You do them. You apply them in your life. And before you know what's happening, things begin to happen. It will sanctify us and cleanse us by the washing of the water by the word. The word of God is what washes you. The word of God is what cleanses you. The more you expose yourself to the word of God, the more you begin to see the results in your life. Look at the kids. When the kids are watching cartoon. Or they are watching wrestling. What do you find? Before you know what's happening, they are walking on the street and they are kicking everybody. Why? Because that thing is influencing their lives. The more they are exposed to the word of God, the more they are exposed to preaching and to prayer and to praise. What happened? They go up and down they begin to say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What you expose yourself to, you begin to become. And so that's why you need to expose yourself to the word of God. You need to engage the word of God so that the things that are written in the word of God can begin to permeate our spirit and begin to fill our lives. And then finally, there has to be diligence and disciplined effort. In other words, you don't do it once and forget about it. The fact that I pray today doesn't mean I should not pray tomorrow. The fact that I ate today doesn't mean I'm not going to eat tomorrow. It has to be consistent diligent and disciplined effort to serve the Almighty God. Paul the Apostle understood this and that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, he said, but I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself will be a castaway. In other words, he said, I practice what I preach. I make sure I am diligent in doing it, I make sure I am disciplined in doing it, I make sure I am consistent in doing it, so that the things that I say to other people when I apply to my life, I will not be lost, I will not be cast away. So it is easy to talk about these things. It is doing them that is the challenge and to overcome the challenge of not being able to do them, we have to be disciplined and we have to be diligent in our efforts. And as we do all this, the power and the grace of God falls upon us and His grace becomes more evident in our life and the spirit of holiness begins to be revealed in our life. The question then is, who can become this vessel? Who is the man or the woman who can be a vessel that the Lord will use? Who is the person that the Lord God Almighty can take from where they are right now and open their heaven like He did for Isaiah and give them a revelation of the coming Messiah? The person who we do is a man who will take responsibility for his life. If our faith or our religion depends on God to do everything, it's an irresponsible faith, and irresponsible religion. If God is going to be the one to do everything for you, your religion is not going to take you anywhere. God will do what God will do, and you must do what you must do. If you don't do what you are supposed to do, God will not do it for you. Anyone who is going to be a vessel of honor must be a person that takes responsibility for their own spiritual growth. Number two, the person who will be a vessel of honor must be a person that does not give place to the devil. You don't play on the edge. Before you know what's happening, the lines might become blurry. You don't begin to play with sin. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. You don't begin to do the things that will compromise your stand. You don't hang out with the wrong crowd. You don't expose yourself to the things that will disrupt or grieve the spirit of the Almighty God that deals inside of you. You do not give place to the devil. The man or the woman that will be holy. The man or the woman that will be a vessel of honor. Number one must take responsibility. Number two must not give place to the devil. Number three must be vigilant and watchful. In other words, you don't live a careless life. You don't talk anyhow. You don't behave anyhow. You don't just go to any place. You don't just hang out with just anybody. You are watchful and you are vigilant. The Bible says be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. The enemy is just watching looking for an opportunity to be able to hunt down the souls that are careless, the souls that are not watchful. And that's why every time the Bible tells us, it says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because when you are careless, when you are not watchful, the enemy finds an opportunity to come in. The man or the woman who will become a vessel of honor must be a person that remains in fellowship. One of the things that you will find is this. The person that the enemy wants to destroy, the first thing the enemy does to that person is what? Isolate that person. If the enemy is ready to punish an individual, it takes them out of fellowship. It takes them out of the company of people. It takes them from the people who can speak sense into their life. It takes them from under a covering, isolates them. It takes time to punish them. That's what it does. So if you want to continue to be a vessel of honor, you must remain in the company of people with like faiths. Bible tells us in Hebrews ten twenty five, we say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. You need the company of others.
0: Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at ten a.m. for our Sunday worship service at two seven one one Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee.